Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm Coach Andrew Poretz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people discover and fulfill their passion and greatness. My mission is to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams and with my coaching, help you to manifest those dreams into reality. You can visit my website at www.myfuturecoach.com. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash coachandrew. If you're listening live and you have a question, the phone number is 646-929-2893. You'll be able to listen to the show on the phone, and if you press number one, I'll know you have a question. We also have a live chat room on the show page where you can feel free to join in and ask questions. I first learned about tonight's guest, David Brownstein, when my father sent me a New York Times article about him. He thought it was a childhood friend of mine, but it turned out to be a different David Brownstein. I sought him out, and I'm excited to introduce him tonight. David Brownstein is a leading-edge career coach, executive coach, and leadership coach who specializes in the entertainment industry, technology industry, and other creative professionals and companies. David was named one of the top ten thought leaders by Leadership Excellence magazine and is an author, certified life coach, workshop leader, and business consultant. But wait, there's more. He's also a composer and musician, and we're going to treat you tonight to the other side of David Brownstein, professional certified coach. David Brownstein, are you with us? I am here. Thank you. You're very welcome. Very excited to have you tonight. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to share my music and my coaching and to talk about how those things interact. And I've never actually shared both these things in the same uh, conversation, so looking forward to that. This is the World's Collide episode of uh, <laughs> Yes, and on behalf of all David Brownsteins everywhere around the world, uh, thanks for having us. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and by the way, the really funny thing is that we, t- you and I turn out to be we kind of – Around the same age, we are both shaved-headed individuals, and uh, and my picture on here, I, I actually have now shaved my beard, but you, we we would appear to be we could be uh, you know, separated at birth. So separated at birth, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. So uh, anyway, so uh, HollywoodCoaching.com. You've been uh, in the uh, coaching business for a long, long time. How did you get there? Well, it's funny. I got into the in, I've been in the entertainment industry my whole professional career before I was a coach, but I kind of got into coaching because I burned out on being in the entertainment industry. My view these days of what burnout means is when you're doing something that takes a lot of hours, but you're not really enjoying it, that's when you that's when you burn out. So mm. on one level, I wanted to be really doing more creative work and really writing and directing, and I was getting good at producing, and I was getting jobs producing, but I wasn't having fun with producing. So I kind of did the, ov- the only obvious thing, which was to leave the business. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and and when you know often when clients come to me and they go well do you work with people who are getting into the business or out of the business I say well anything can happen but let's find out what you really wanted to be doing and in a sense in a sense it's if we're doing what we want to do we can put up with all the crap but mm. if we're not it feels like a burnout. Yeah, I notice that when you're doing things that you're really passionate about, like it doesn't even count as work in some in some respect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I agree with that. It's, although it's, it's funny, I've had these conversations with people about, well, like on a weekend, I'm I'm, I'm coaching during the week, but I'll be working on music on, on the weekend, and I I think when I talk to people about is that work, and I think well, if I'm on a deadline, if someone's meeting me at a certain period of time, and on one level it's work, but it's a fun kind of work. Yeah. So it's 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 just an interesting thing, and and I think when we when when any of us take something that's that we're passionate about, or that's a hobby, or the, or it's a love, and make it into a profession, it it shifts a little bit from gee, isn't it fun to bang on drums to like okay, we got to finish this song, and okay, I got to pitch my song, you know. Yes, yeah, so there's certainly a work aspect to it, no matter you know no matter what you do, if you're doing it professionally, but it just feels you know there's something different about about that. Like I get to play outside, kind of a thing, you know. Well, yeah, on a, on a good day, you know, we look at each other and go, I get paid for this. <laughs> you know, it's really, it, it is great. I'm not complaining, but it's, just, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. And I guess on one level, to maybe segue a little bit into the, the, how I got with Hollywood coaching and with career stuff in the entertainment business is we tend to be, people in the entertainment business are doing something that they really love. And they really would would do almost for free, and mm-hmm. oftentimes we do. In fact, that's how we often get started. And I encourage people to work for free to get started. And at a certain point, we go, well, how can I get paid? How can I pay my bills? How can I build my career? And then when people get to another level, they go, well, I'm doing pretty well. 
as a filmmaker, maybe I want to start my own business. And, and then as, as a business owner, they go, I know how to make films, but how do I run a business? Mm-hmm. And it be- becomes a whole other level of, you know, different skills required to develop a business, to be a leader, to be a manager, to run a, to run a company, run a team. Mm-hmm. And then some of these lucky people st- start running a studio or, or a network or a record company or something like that. And it's a, it's a different level of leadership or management. And it starts from the creative urge that they've followed and been become good at. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just a sort of a funny transition as we navigate that. Like, I love this, I'm passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a, it's a business, so how does that change things? Now, what's the, what's the I, I mean, I, I'm not going to ask you for specifics about people, but there's there kind of really interesting challenges that have come your way that you're like, well, I, I had a hand in that. Well, you know, what I'm, I've been doing a lot of in the past few years is working with uh, TV showrunners and TV writers, and I've worked mm-hmm. with some, and I've actually, I, don't, I can't talk about most of my clients, but actually sure. Jeff Davis, who created Criminal Minds, has given me permission to, to do so, and Jeff hired me after he was uh, actually let go from his own show that he created, and um, which was Criminal Minds, and although now he's in the second season, just completing the second season of Teen Wolf, so... What he he's an example of, and many people in the TV industry, it's again it's sort of a someone who's a talented writer, a visionary writer. Suddenly they're the head of a corporation, and suddenly they have different skills, and suddenly there's more people on his teams. Mm-hmm. So Jeff said, actually in that New York Times article, you know he went from sitting in a coffee shop one day writing scripts to um, you know being in more meetings that he could count, and having you know 200 people going. I don't know, are we shooting this scene or are we shooting that scene? So it's a, it's a huge shift of leadership awareness and, and being a manager. So it's, that's kind of my, one of my favorite spots is, mm. is helping a creative person find their own style and to manage their own career in a way that is both creative and it's also, it is a business, whether we're doing you know, film or music or whatever it is we're doing. It's a, it's, it's a business, so it's... it's it's got to be both. It's got to be creatively <laughs> satisfying as well as uh, financially remunerating. So, you know, you've really come to have some different feelings, it sounds like, from our, our conversations about where you'd like to be going yourself. So I know you're very uh, passionate about leadership. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's it, I, 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 de- I definitely am. It's it's a funny thing because on one level among the coaching community, we all talk about leadership and how important it is. And although there hasn't been a lot of articulation about it, and it's almost become kind of like a a vague buzzword. Yeah, mm-hmm. we need more leadership. We need better leadership. But but I don't think there's a lot of discussion of what that means. And I think especially in the entertainment industry when people are just barely figuring out how to be in charge of people, let alone be really conscious of their leadership abilities. So it's, it's a it's a funny it's a funny uh, it's a funny dichotomy. Well, you know, you you, you, you sent me a very interesting um, uh, document about some of your thoughts about leadership, and I'm wondering how we could talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's great. I mean, it's funny. I've noticed every year the Hollywood Reporter would do a would do a special issue, they call it a leadership issue, and they would interview some important, powerful person, and they'd ask them, what do you think about leadership? And they'd go, I don't know, but here's what I've learned, and here's what I do, and it's important to... Uh... What they said wasn't that constructive. When it said to me they didn't have really a, a clear picture of what it is or what it could be. Mm-hmm. So so being a coach, I like to think about things and talk about things, these, these things. So... So I've been I've been working on a definition, and let's maybe we could talk about some of these things and have some discussion about them. Absolutely. I mean, the, the first the first one on my um, and it's you know, speaking as a musician today, and actually it's on the documents I sent you. I call it my definition slash riff number one. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm riffing on this, it's like and in music. Yeah, you know, and I totally got that as a fellow musician. Good. Yeah. Cool. What do you, what do you play again? I, I play guitar and I sing. Okay, so there's there's this place where we go. Okay, here's an idea. Is this is this the idea? Is this the, is this the melody? So I'm kind of playing around here. And as I said to you earlier, I was part of me 
wishes I could synthesize all these things into like one clear sentence, but I think mm-hmm. leadership is more multifaceted. So, here, so let me read you riff number one. Sure. Um, leadership is the art of facilitating collaborative creation toward a powerful goal. So I'll just say it again. Leadership is the art of facilitating collaborative creation towards a powerful goal. Okay. So so the difference, what I want to highlight about that one is that it's not about making people do stuff they don't mm-hmm. want to do. It is about there's this collaboration happening, and, and the leader may have some ideas, definitely has to have an idea, and has to know where it, they're trying to drive the machine to or the, or the vehicle to. At the same time, they have to be able to kind of hold hold the creative process, instigate the creative process without losing control of it. So a writer in a writer's room might say, look, here's where the show's going. I want to do an episode about this. What do you guys think? And both take input and say, that's not really it, but keep going. Give me more. Give me more. So I think often leaders say they don't really want to open up a discussion because they think that means they have to do everything everybody says. Mm Mm-hmm. So it, it is kind of about holding this middle ground between inspiring people to speak up, letting them feel heard, letting them feel welcome, and also being knowing how to synthesize that. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. So, it, so I think I think there's a there's a part of facilitating collaboration that's required for a leader that is both being an equal and also knowing that you know they're sort of the boss still and they know where they want this thing to end up they know what the powerful goal is you know one thing is is, is occurring to me as we were speaking so when i hear the word leadership i think when a lot of people hear the word leadership they think of certain kind of very specific things like the president they think of the ceo or the general um uh director of something um so those are like the usual kind of words where you think of leadership. But one of the things you're talking about in this document, and in fact you said leadership can be practiced and applied by anyone at any level of a team or organization. And so that opens my mind up to think about where else can leadership appear other than from a quote-unquote leader. Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up, actually. I guess the thing is that, so let's say that somebody is, an, you know, um, an assistant on a team or a coordinator on the, on a team, um, it's still valuable and helpful for them to have a vision of where the show should be going, or where the project, or where the bill, if it's politics, or where the where the for them to have an idea of where it's going, or where it can be going, and to be aware of not just what they want, but how to get the best from themselves, how to get the best from others on the team. So one of the ways that coaches do that and the best leaders do that is by asking questions. Mm -hmm. So it's not just saying, oh, that's a good idea, or that's a bad idea. Like, well, that's really interesting. What would it be like if we tried that? And what else would be, you know, there's a deepening that we -hmm. we coaches do. And that I think that asking questions and deepening is a leadership trait. And it doesn't matter if you're – you know, it doesn't matter what your level is, but if you're in that meeting, you can ask a question. And, you know, as coaches, we talk about, you know, powerful questions. It's it's ways to open a conversation, ways to in, invite other people's thoughts. Mm. So where might that apply, say, in the lower levels of some organization? Well, so let's say somebody's... Uh, uh, somebody's an assistant and their boss says, I need you to do something, and you think, the person thinks, that doesn't really make any sense. You know, there might be a way to say, instead of that doesn't make any sense, you're going, going well, mm-hmm. what, are you trying, what are you going for here? What are we, what's, what's the best way to do this? Or what are we trying, what are we trying to get at, you know? And, and a good question doesn't have to be challenging, but it can help people think it through maybe a little bit more than they did. Like I wonder, I wonder if he's back from lunch now, or I wonder if, I wonder if there's some other ways we can get some help on this project. So it's a, it's, it's a fine line between seeming like you're not doing what you're what you're told, but but um, I don't know, is that, is inviting a conversation. Okay, uh, would you say that there's uh, some anything to do with say a, a sense of ownership when you're being a leader at a at another level besides at the top? Well, yeah. I mean, what do you what do you think about that? I'm... 
Well, I I, it, it, I think for me, like there's, um, I, I I once uh, a long long time ago there was this uh, conversation I had with a group of men about the idea of ownership versus rental, you know, uh-huh. not necessarily involving housing, but as a as a point of view, as a perspective, is if you know, because when you're the owner of something, you treat you tend to treat something differently than if you're renting it. I think so. There's this like I own this, I'm responsible for it. I suppose I'm renting it. I can just let it go, and who cares what happens at the end? So I think there's maybe a way of being. Uh, I'm wondering how, like, the ownership could enter into the equation of leadership. Well, I think everybody can own the impact and their contribution mm-hmm. in a way, and I think it's for everybody. If ever, depend regardless of, regardless of your hierarchy or your place in the organizational chart, everybody's able to ask questions or chime in or throw out interesting ideas without being attached to them. Um, so, so I don't know. I guess another thing that I think it's important for leaders to be able to do is to make it safe for people who are reporting to them to, to chime in, to have suggestions, to have ideas, to ask questions, because people, people will not speak up unless they feel like it's safe to disagree with the boss. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's, a, there's a tricky thing there, and I've often had executives say to me, well, my people just won't tell me what they think. I don't know why. <laughs> and I said, well, it's probably because they think they're, they're going to get fired if they disagree with you. Hmm. Yeah, I, I have I have an area. I don't know if you're willing to go, but uh, I think I. it would be really powerful <laughs> if you could. I'm thinking of, um, you know, not I don't want to go politically, but it's strictly in terms of the question of leadership – uh where where do you think our current um crop of candidates are in the in the area of leadership i'm forgetting forgetting about, about politics or who you're for i'm just really curious if you have anything to say about that well that you're willing say, to say <laughs> i'm willing to say, i'm willing okay. to say I, I mean let's let's talk about the early days of the obama administration and sure. healthcare stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i think I mean, just to, I'm, I'm a Democrat and I voted for Obama, so I'm a fan of his. And here's what I what I think was that people kind of wanted him to be like they perceived George W. Bush as, mm-hmm. which is to say, you know, here's what we're doing, done, and to be kind of a bully about about things. Whereas Obama, in my opinion, he he is a facilitator. So the, the healthcare stuff. He learned from the Clintons, for example, that you can't just go out and say, here's the plan. He said, we're going to get feedback from everybody. We're going to talk about this. And it got really messy. And any facilitator knows that it's going to get really messy. So I think he was willing to to let things get messy because he knew that it had to happen that way. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think as a a leadership move, he wasn't just being the, um, the dictator. He was being the facilitator, and he was saying, "Look, here's what I would like it to be. Now, House of Representatives and Senate, you guys figure something out." And it was, and it got really ugly and messy. And we learned a lot about what people felt and how people mm-hmm. thought. And it was a good leadership move. It seemed, on one hand, <laughs> people wanted him to be bossy, like they perceived the last guy to be, and he wasn't going to be that way. And, and I think, as a leader, he may have had some learning to do about how long it takes and how much mess can other people handle. Right. So at some so, point he's going to have to, you know, maybe step it up in a particular area. Yeah, lear- yeah learning the edges, learning the mm-hmm. edges for that. So so that's that's my feeling about that. And what about the, the other fellow? Uh, where do you perceive him as a leader? As, never mind how, you know, whether you, you know, whether you all like or hate the guy. I, you mean... You mean Governor Romney? Yeah. I have not perceived much in leadership from him. Um, I know that he's kept his same team together for mm-hmm. for many years, and so he's inspired some loyalty. Um, what I have not seen is him really articulate a um, a plan or an idea for what he wants to, to see happening. Um, his strategy seems to be not to answer questions, just to to win. So I don't. I'm not really seeing a leadership. Agenda. Yeah, nor nor am I. I just just like really curious your you know your particular take. Um, like if you, if if he were to come to you and never mind the fact that you probably would say no, 
guess he's not Obama. I uh, said, you know, hey, David, I really need some help in leadership. Uh, what, what, is there something that you, you would tell him? Well, I would – I don't know that it's a way to, to win an election, but I do think that one of the reasons that he's had a hard time attracting hardcore fans even in his own party is that he has not had a conviction and stood stood by it. He's not willing to right. take, you know, the slings and arrows of having an opinion. He's kind of – he, you know, goes back and forth on things. He invented – Romney care and doesn't like it now that it's Obamacare. So right. I, I would say to hold an opinion and to articulate an opinion. I mean, I was not a fan of Rick Santorum, but at least I knew where he stood, and at least I thought he had a he had a sense of who he was and a sense of what he believed. I disagree with most of that stuff, right. but he at least I could respect that he was true to himself, and I don't get that from from Romney. And I I think um, it's probably going to be one of the bigger bigger problems he has. You know, that was actually the very sense that I got. My personal feeling is that the biggest single reason that uh, George W. Bush won his second term, I'm not going to talk about the first term, but the second term was that very thing. Was He's a guy, like whether you agreed with him or not, at least you knew what he was talking about. He, he used to get the idea that he believed it, and he was sticking to it. And the other guy was whatever you wanted him to say, he would say. Yeah, That was my yeah. feeling. It's a, it's a tricky thing. I mean, it's it's... The, the word leaders and leadership is the most often u- most often used around mm-hmm. politics and sometimes around business, but but we don't have a conversation of what that understanding of what that means. It it tends to be well. Here's the thing I think that I've thought about around the Hollywood world, and and I think it's relevant for all things in Hollywood and in, in the creative industries. There are essentially I think three modes of leadership. There's creative mode, which is where we're kind of looking for ideas, we're mm-hmm. looking for pitches, we're looking for what brainstorming, blue sky, and that's a kind of amorphous thing. We never know how long it's going to take. Then there's production mode, where once we've got a script and a budget and a schedule, bam, 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 we're shooting this thing in eight days if it's a TV show or 35 days if it's a feature. We know how to like be incredibly efficient. It may sound expensive mm-hmm. to most people who are out not in the business, but we know how to be ultra-efficient, but also we have to know how to be in development mode where where the ideas are coming slowly or maybe they're coming quickly. And then the third mode is financial management mode. It's sort of a corporate money mode. It's like there's a way of charting what are the costs, what are the expenses, what are the profits, where's the revenues, where are the markets. It's a different way of looking at the whole process. So it's it's very amorphous blue sky and creative development mode it's very efficient in making stuff it's kind of kind of like a factory mm-hmm. and then there's a different kind of leadership where you are being responsible to investors and to shareholders and to your financial partners it's a, it's a very different set uh and i think it's important for business leaders to understand those three modes and to know which mode they have to be able to switch from one to the right. other and they have to know which one is appropriate for the right moment. Would you would you would you say it's fair to say that one of the the uh, things you might want to learn about leadership is, is that it's not always about you? <laughs> no, it's not about you. <laughs> well, you know that just kind of gives me an idea for a song. I think that's a great what idea. What do you think? Okay, let's yeah. uh, let's uh, change the energy just a little bit here with uh, David Brownstein's song. The song is not about you.
David Brownson here at WBTR. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Great to be here. <laughs> I have my, my little fantasies there, you know. That song is available on CDBaby.com. It's CD slash Brownstein Houston. Is it Brownstein Houston or Brownstein Houston? Because I'm from yeah, New York. Houston. Brownstein Houston. Okay. Yeah, Houston Street, but Houston. <laughs> Yeah, because you know Whitney Houston was a very uh, excellent. Yes, a big singer in the eighties. <laughs> I really can't help myself sometimes. I'm really sorry about that. No, that's cool. That's cool. So, so that's a good song. It reminded me. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned to you on the phone earlier. Uh, it made me think of that uh, the theme to the Gary Shandling show. Well, yeah, it's this sort of that self-referential thing. It's like mm-hmm. that Magritte that Magritte painting that says, "This is not a pipe," and it's a picture of a pipe. <laughs> Of course, what it is, it's a painting of a pipe. It's not a pipe. Exactly. But but you know the is this is a, f- a funny song. But what it's what it's kind of illuminating or attempting to illuminate in a humorous way, perhaps, is is the concept of personal ownership and of taking responsibility for um, one's experience. And um, the singer of that song, who happens to be me, uh, but is is you know talking to an imaginary person or that's saying. Saying, look, I'm not right. I'm kind of over it. So everything's fine. This isn't about you. But in the end of the song, he kind of goes, "Oh well, you know, actually, it is about you." And um, I think one of the fun things about that to sort of try to come back to the leadership thing sure. is that it, it, in a humorous way, is that that I think leaders can be vulnerable and be true with who they are. Leaders can mm-hmm. can realize they're making a mistake and realize they screwed up. In a certain kind of way, so that's how this that's how the song fits in. And what about uh, you know leadership in the music industry itself? What what's where's what's missing there? That's a tricky thing. I mean, uh, it's on one level, it's never been as good a time for music, and never been as bad a time for music. It's never been as good a time for artists and creators and fans. It's Everybody can make music on their laptop at home mm-hmm. and post it online and see it and hear it. And it, so it's amazing from the distribution, self-distribution point, and excuse me, and the tools that we have. Um, it's been challenging for musicians to make a living, at least in the way they did. And so it's becoming a whole different kind of a thing. And there's a guy that talks about he wants to create what he calls the musician's middle class, which is to say people who are making music that are somehow making a living. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily, you know, Aerosmith, right. Lady Gaga, but they're making a living somehow. And so so it's, the, I mean, the Internet sort of destabilized the industry. I mean, let me put it bigger than the Internet. Technology destabilized it, and it's given us all the power to make stuff at home. I mean, my mm-hmm. whole CD I made on my computer, you know. It's amazing. Um, so Chris and I did that. We, you know, both we were sending files back and forth. He lives up in Berkeley. I'm down here in L.A. We would be sending files back and forth, and every once in a while we'd be in the same room. But the collaboration was, was spectacular, and I did that on my little MacBook. Um, of course, I recorded guitars and vocals through microphones. But, right. Um, so the tools are incredible, and... Business models are a little bit more challenging, so it's 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 never been as easy for musicians to go, hey, I just made a wrote a song, here it is, and now it's on YouTube. Um, and it's been, it's just, but, but the the industry itself is, is different. Well, I mean, you could you could you know YouTube, you can get a guy started like Justin Bieber is a complete result of the internet, YouTube. It's it's, it's an unbelievable thing to me when I think about it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It, it's so yeah. I, I don't know. It's 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 a fascinating time and it's it's a frustrating time. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I just heard a, a story of, recently that Ken Scott was one of the engineers at Abbey Road. He was one of the, the 
he produced all the David Bowie, engineered all the David Bowie stuff, and mm-hmm. later period Beatles things. And he one day sent a letter to EMI Studios saying, "I'd like to work as an intern." And two days later, he got an interview, and they liked him. They hired him, and three days later, he quit high school and was a recording engineer for the Beatles and, and an assistant yeah. for a long time. But but so it speaks to a different time of the industry. Sure. So now every now there's a zillion bands, and everyone's got to can maybe make a music. But I don't know. It's tricky. What do, what do you think about the music industry leadership? Well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same place as you are. Uh, I'm I'm less in the music industry than than you are, other than that I I sing whenever I can, I play guitar whenever I can. Uh, I've always been that guy, but um, it just seems to me that there's um, there's something I, I I use the term missing. It's like uh, I could also go, what's there? It was the opposite, but I I get the feeling that there's something missing that that might cause uh, some sort of a shift that would make a big difference for people who are like as you and say the musician middle class. That maybe there is a little bit too much of everyone's out for themselves, so nobody's really stepping up to the plate and saying, let me be the guy. Or the woman who who makes a real difference in this in what's happening right now. Somebody who's going to you know, they may just start their own company that does things completely differently than anyone else is doing it in a way that makes everybody you know a win win. Well, you know, I, when just speaking, I, I heard um, Moby recently speaking about the music business, and he said, you know, no successful musician ever started with a business plan. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody started with just wanting to write and wanting to play and wanting right. to be in a band and wanting to do it. I think what's changed over the years also is that it used to be, you know, with, before the internet, even mm-hmm. before the MTV and things like that, that music was such a transformative thing, but we could only get it by buying a record or by going to a concert. So it was valued in a different kind of way, and the kind of hysteria hysteria that occurred in Beatlemania or at a a concert was something you just couldn't get that often so it it, and there were fewer artists and fewer acts so you it was like we really needed to get that essence rare and it was it was valued in a different way and now we have so much media on our phones or on our our computer and it's so we're we still love it but we have far more than we can possibly consume yeah, you also now like it, it, back then. I mean, there were there were singles back then, but there, there was a, this whole concept of an album, an LP. You had to fill this LP, and you have a lot of these LPs that had nothing but crap and one good song on it. But I think there's a whole different way of uh, creating it now, where it's not necessarily about a, any album. It, you could put all the effort into it, one or two or three or four songs. Well, yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, I've been as I've been somewhat obsessed with pop music recently. I've been buying bought Katy Perry's record, you know, last record recently and Rihanna's mm-hmm. record. I like to buy the CDs, I buy them used on Amazon, mm-hmm. because, and then I uh, I can listen to them in the car, and I can listen to the whole record in a different kind of way. And I, I may mm-hmm. not like it all the first track, the first time I hear it, but by playing it over and over, I get to know, I get to know her, you know, more about her as an artist and more about what the songwriting is like. And same with Katy Perry, because I'm interested in sort of the long, the long form of it and, studying the artist and studying the writing and studying the production techniques. But, you know, you, you and I being, you know, somewhat dinosaurish in this, uh, in one, in one respect, you know, we go back to that. So we're going to, we may have that, uh, uh, feeling that we want to have the entire CD, the entire, you know, LP, there's another word from the past. Um, and yet now you can get just about in any artist you can think of, you can get each song individually, usually like on iTunes or somewhere, so you could create your own whatever it is you want to hear, and I'm and, and I'm hearing more and more that the CDs are not selling the way they were selling, and that's because of you know technology. Again, that's now the CDs are on their way out, so it really kind of leaves a big hole. Well, yeah, no, it's 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 very interesting. I mean, I guess the way we consume music has changed. The way we create music has changed. The way we consume it's changed. I mean. You know, there was this guy, Mark Penn, who's a researcher who wrote a book called Microtrends that I read a few years ago. And one of the things he was talking about was that, on one hand, yes, we're getting sort of short attention span and we only want single songs. On the other hand, like, we are, we are tracking longer things. Like, TV is a good example of that. Like, I know a lot of people watching Game of Thrones now. Mm-hmm. People, people want to watch 
you know, a TV show, Mad Men, for over, over many seasons, or there is a certain sense where some shows do engage us in a long-form story. Um, in the Lord of the Rings movies, right. the Batman movies, in a, in a way, so short attention span isn't the only thing, and there are areas where we are still tracking longer stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting thing. I'm not sure how music will transition in a way that's relevant for that. Um, and, you know, maybe, it's, maybe it has to do with seeing an artist live. Um, right. You know, I've seen, um, seen, I don't know, I've seen live bands play. It's a, it's a different kind of experience, whether I know their songs or don't know their songs. Or how does, I saw Lady Gaga's show, and she had a great live show, and all the songs were had different, vi- different visuals and different graphics, and same with Katy Perry's show. And that always makes me like I'm I'm very pure in some respects when it comes to music. Like I will appreciate a show like a Lady Gaga show or a Madonna show on one level, but I I want to be able to appreciate a show completely on the auditory aspect of it. It's like what what does the blind person do who doesn't get to see the show? Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm like I'm all about the music. The other stuff is like that's great that she does that, and I'll be you know okay I got my money's worth if I went to see a concert. But I'm thinking how many concerts did I go? I mean I. I I had a fr- have a friend of mine on Facebook. We were always trying to remember one more show we went to, you know, in, in 1986, and I went to, I I saw the Who in 1982 and whatever. So I'm always coming up with these shows. I'm thinking, how many of those shows I couldn't see anything because it was in the nosebleeds. All I'm getting is this auditory, this amazing experience, the crowd experience, the whole feeling of being in this magic. Huh. Yeah, well, you know, I just saw this film, the LCD Sound System Final Concert film. Did you, did you hear oh, about that? I heard about that. Yes, they were, you know, older. Uh, James Murphy created a band when he was in his late thirties mm-hmm. and um, toured around the world, did three albums, and they mm-hmm. did the last show last year, I believe, at Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. and they released uh, a movie of it. And it was played in the theaters last month just for one night. So mm. all around the country, it was playing one night, and I went, and it was great. Um, and it was, it was so it was a fun concert film, and also it was fascinating to see musicians on stage playing with machines, but to see what it was like, you know, the energy in the audience again. It's it was like there was a visceral thing, there was a communal thing. It was pretty exciting to see Madison Square Garden filled with screaming fans. Oh yeah. Uh, thinking how many times have I been in that in that place? I mean, it's been not, it's been a long time to be quite frank since I've been to a big stadium show like that. So I, th- I think part of what makes those things successful, I'm just thinking out loud here, is you know a relationship that a, that a fan base has with an artist over time, and to know the material, like what's gonna what's gonna impress us the first time we see it. Like even with Broadway shows, I recommend you know. Know the music beforehand because it's a lot to it's a lot to sort of take in uh, the first time through. Whereas a movie makes the makes the point of like focusing your attention in a way mm-hmm. that you can have that ninety minute experience and just go to that world and leave one hundred and twenty minutes later. You know. Yeah, it's funny you mentioning the uh, the the relationship with the fans, but that has also changed dramatically with social media. Yeah. We have a Lady Gaga with ten gazillion uh, Twitter followers, but she actually pays attention to them, to her little monsters. Yeah, well, yeah. So she, yeah, she's interacting, and actually, you know, it's funny when I went to this Katy Perry show between between acts, the fans were tweeting and the tweets were being put up on the screen, so oh, wow. they would they would see a picture of of or their or their you know. Their sister, who didn't go to the concert, was tweeting a picture from home, going, "Hi, Caitlin, how you doing out there?" So there was this incredible interaction between at, between the shows, the acts, where we would actually see what was happening on the screen, and everyone was tweeting and watching and tweeting and watching. It was a fascinating group experience. Would you say that like the ability to master that is is, is a form of leadership? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would say uh, I would say not. Okay. All right. <laughs> I would say it's a kind of mastery, but well it, it depends. It depends. It can be used like I mean almost to go back to the the political thing for a second. Uh last year the Obama campaign said, "Hey, sign up for us on Twitter and we will let you know who the vice president 
sidekick is mm. by or by text or by by Twitter. Oh, I remember and so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So so that was that was and what they were doing was they were building their email list so that so the days before the election they could go. By the way, have you voted? Don't forget to early vote. You, you know where mm-hmm. your polling place is. So that was leadership because it was facilitating collaboration towards a powerful goal or towards a goal. So if if Lady Gaga and Katy Perry are using Twitter for a powerful goal, then I would say it is leadership. Mm. You could make the debate of like, you know, is building your fan base, you know, it's, it would be a, in and of itself. I don't think it's leadership. I think it's how you how you um, how are you making a difference in how you, in how you're doing it. I mean, here's why I would say Lady Gaga leadership yes, and <clears throat> and Katy Perry leadership no. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm actually a big fan of both of them, and I just saw them live in the past year. So Lady Gaga, in the middle of her concert, she walks to the center on a platform, walks to the center of of the room and and you know, instruments are down and she just talks about her difficulty growing up and difficulty being feeling judged and how she really wanted to be who she was but she didn't have the guts and now she's done that obviously, et cetera, et cetera. So she was quite vulnerable about mm. that. And and her whole thing about you know, little monsters is like is that people feel like a monster in a certain kind of way, but to kind of claim that they feel this being of a monster in a way, and should and that and that in a sense that's part of what she's saying is when she says you know pause up it's like you're a monster I'm a monster we all feel that way and you know here when we're inside this room we are the normal ones and they they who have criticized us all us are not the normal ones. And everyone got gets chills when she's doing this. It was a very moving piece. So I think she's got a piece, something that she wants to say about humanity and the world and creative process and growing mm-hmm. up in America. So it was pretty damn leadershipy. <laughs> that's a, that's going to be my new uh, T-shirt. Pretty damn leadershipy. <laughs> yes. Pause up. Pretty damn leadershipy. <laughs> okay. But and it's Katy Perry. Uh, by the way, I, I, we we don't have that much more time left, so I would love to play a couple more of your songs. Yeah, let's play another song too. Okay, pick one. Um, let's play "Beat Is Talking." Beat is talking. Okay, it was David Brownstein talking. Now the beat is talking here on WBTR. <laughs>
Sorry about that. I took too long to get you off of hold. And myself. Andrew, Andrew, can you feel the beat? I can feel the beat. I can feel the beat. That was the sounds of David Brownstein. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a guess that was not you singing. That was not me singing. That was my friend and uh great singer Becky Bordeaux singing that one. Ah, okay, great. Yes, yes. So that's a that's a real uh, uh dance kind of a song. Yeah, I think in a sense, I think you know the dance floor and the and clubs and those are that's where it's positive messages are coming into people's heads mm-hmm. and we're spending so much time listening to songs and words and those are the things that that um, either pollute our thinking or can help us uh, have a more positive outlook. So I think I think pop music is is beautiful in that way and uh, I'm just loving the sort of the simplicity and the elegance of. Um, that uh, teen angst. Hmm. So, what would you describe the song? Because I, I really mainly just felt the music, and I wasn't really listening to the message. Well, it's kind of about on one level, it's about girls, you know, in a club and feeling sort of separate and wants to get involved in the, in, the, in the experience. But, but, um, you know, the, in a sense, the music uh, by embracing the music, it just sort of helps. The music starts speaking to her in a certain kind of way that helps her kind of uh, jump in to the crowd and get to know people and have, you know, uh, just feel feel a part of the music and a part of the community rather than feeling separate. Mm-hmm. And so it's also kind of about listening to one's inner voice. Uh, you know, the the beat is kind of kind of talking, but it's also the parts of ourselves that are speaking to us. Um, and uh, so I don't know. I think, I st- in a sense, I think that's what happens with music. There's a, there's a quote I know that I like from David White, the, the Scottish poet. He says, "Is he Irish?" Um, he says, "Art is the act of triggering deep memories of what it means to be fully human." Mm. And, and I think when we're listening to music, a different part of us comes alive, and a different part of us comes forward. And it's like it's kind of the music. The beat has our body and our and our feet moving and our heads are out of the way and so there becomes this other inner monologue dialogue happening inside of us that I think is a you know transformative force dare yeah. I say yeah I, I believe you I you know I know that like whenever like one of my biggest passions in life is I get to play music of any kind last night I was at a party with a guitar and uh, you know I, I I never feel more alive than when I'm doing that yeah what do you think it is? Well, it's like a, it's something very primal because it 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 it, it plays into, um, for one thing, it plays into my big little kid. Uh-huh. I have a really big little kid. My my little kid, you know. So by the way, if I ever tell you I watch SpongeBob, it's my my little kid inside is responsible for that. So I have a big little kid that likes to play. And it and it has fantasies of being, you know, a star. I think a lot of us have that kind of fantasy. So in that moment, I am at my game, at the top of my game. 
I always mm-hmm. feel that way whenever I am performing. I, th- th- this is my place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so the, I think there's a part of, where, of us when we're playing music or doing something like that, completely engaged mm-hmm. in it, completely lost in it, so there's not a lot of like, oh, gee, what should I do? I don't know, confusion or, or stasis. It's, we're just in the moment feeling something without second-guessing it, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's joyous and it's profound. You know what it's like for me? You know, like they always show like videos of uh, like a, a potter making a clay pot, that kind of mm-hmm. thing with a wheel, and mm-hmm. they're shaping it with their hands, and and like I don't know what this guy's doing, but it always winds up this magnificent thing. That like, how did you do that? That's kind of how I how I feel, in a way. Do you know what I mean? When you're making music. Yeah, when I'm yeah, but anything I'm doing where I'm at the top of my game it includes music, playing guitar. Riding mm-hmm. my bike, even it could be uh, you know, doing the show. Mm-hmm. Almost anything where I feel at the top of my game, I feel like that potter. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I, I mean, yeah. I, I think that, I don't know. What, what for, for me? There's. I always have like a plan or thinking. I know where things are going to go. Mm-hmm. And for me, with musically. Um, I'm always surprised at what comes out of my fingers, out of my hands in a certain kind of way. So it's almost like the music voice has its own strange voice. So I guess almost when I see some, when I watch a potter, I, at least as an observer, think they know what they're doing and think they know where it's going to go. But when I, I just know for me musically, I go, I just watch my hands sometimes when I'm playing a solo and going, I'm glad you guys, meaning my fingers, have, know what you're doing here because I'm just watching the, guy, the game. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a it's a funny it's a funny thing and I think that's in any life experience it's a kind of you know it is when do we have these moments of flow whether it's in business or in creativity or in relationship where we're really listening to ourselves listening to the other person and allowing whatever is going to be occurring to to be to be coming to be shaping to be you know in 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 some of the early Disney books they talked about having a yes yes meeting and an animations thing so they'd have a pitch idea and you can always say yes like hmm. okay that's great and now what oh, that's great too yes 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 instead of like no that's not going to work there was this creativity that that occurred through that and I experienced that through music it sounds like you do too and I think there's a state of creative flow. So, you know, for for a leader to know how to access that, them, a leader has to know how to access that themselves, mm-hmm. also to make an environment where other people <clears throat> can do that as well. Yeah, I believe that um, when John Lennon met Yoko Ono, it involved him, he, he went to her exhibit and she led him up to some ladder that he had to climb to the top of it. At the top of the ladder was a little note that said yes. That's right. Right. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. That's that. that, that I love that story. And so there's a sense where, like, artists and creators and all of us want permission on one level to be to do the thing that we're maybe afraid of, that maybe we're we love, but we're afraid of that people are going to judge us for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in in that moment, I think John could see that Yoko was a, was a yes. Yoko was a, was a muse for him that allowed that was. Whereas John grew up thinking, you know, pain and no and no and no, mm-hmm. and it was powerful for him to hear an artist speak to him through art that just was about affirmation. You know, it's funny. Just now in this conversation, I, I'm now actually getting that moment for him. It, it was always like, oh, that's kind of interesting or strange, and now and now I actually get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was it was permission permission to be. Mm-hmm. I mean. She was a great muse for him, and uh, she was she was an artist. And he, uh, for whatever reason, needed. I mean, we all need different kinds of partnership. And mm-hmm. uh, at that time, she was the, she was the one for him. So we only have a few minutes left. So let's quickly. I want to speak to you about riff number two. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have it well, in front of me. I'll, I'll read it. Um, okay. <clears throat> um, leaders guide and empower a team of willing participants towards a visualized, articulated, actualized, and constantly evolving end. Mm. So a team of willing participants, and so everyone has to really want to be there, agree to be there, towards a visualized, articulated, actualized, and constantly evolving end. 
So there's a sense of like knowing where we're going and also knowing that it's going to shift and change and that that's okay. So it's, 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 that's one of the paradoxes, I think, of leadership and creation is to go, let's really give specific as we can about what we're going to so that we can go to that. And, if, and at the same time, once we start on the road, we have to let go of that perfect perfection or, or, right. or what, we, what we thought it was. So it's got to be clear enough to help, but we have to be flexible enough to get, to get there and to make something. So uh, right now I'd like you to let anybody listening know how they can find you. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm, you can reach me through uh, my website, which is hollywoodcoaching.com. If you, um, you can sign up for my newsletter there, uh, and I send out a monthly newsletter of leadership tips and career stuff. And also, if you want to uh, purchase my uh, music, you can go to iTunes and check out uh, The Alchemy of Love, book one, book one or CD Baby, uh, same thing, Alchemy of Love, book one. And um, I... Uh, is there, there's some. I just put some links up on the chat. I don't know if that, if that will survive past tonight. It, it it won't, but I will copy them and put them into the show page. Okay, so if you yeah, if you've made it this far, there's some links on the on the show page that will let you you know. There's a YouTube video of another of another of one of my uh, songs and uh, yeah. But Hollywood Coaching is the best way to contact me. And you know, if you if you sign up for the newsletter or send me a send me a message there i do have what i call my uh, hollywood leadership manifesto i'll be happy to send you um a pdf of my hollywood leadership manifesto in progress and uh, just say that you uh, heard me on coach andrew's show and um send me a leadership manifesto awesome well dave i want to david i want to thank you so very much for being on my show with me tonight it was a very quick hour we're down to our yeah. last minute and yeah. I'm going to let everybody uh, – well, we'll be back here next week on Coach's Corner. And until then, I'm going to leave you with a little bit of Groove Garden. I'm going to actually let this play out, so if anybody's listening live, you may hear the whole thing. But it's going to cut off for the rest of you. Well, thanks for having me. It was a blast. You're very welcome. And we'll see you next week. Okay. Talk to you soon.
towards the Lord.